Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. What is so special about the military's green notebook? Hello, everyone. Welcome to the LeadX Show, where we're helping you to stand out and to get ahead. At LeadX, we are democratizing leadership. That's exactly what we're doing. We offer free leadership training and professional development to anyone, anywhere, at any time. Visit our website, leadx.org, to check out the free course of the day. Today, I discuss all things leadership with a U.S. Army officer. We talk about the power of taking notes by hand rather than on your laptop or on your phone and of keeping your notebooks around as part of your legacy. And he helps me to get a military perspective on several topics that I'm writing about in my next book, Authenticity, Rules, Work-Life Balance. And he offers some good reading recommendations. In fact, there's so much good stuff here and I like to keep each episode short. I want it to fit inside your morning commute that we've broken this interview into two parts. So enjoy today's show and come back tomorrow for the conclusion. Today's tip is a change elevator pitch. Leading through change can be tough. A new process, a merger of two companies, new software, whatever. But one tool you can use is a change elevator pitch. We usually think of an elevator pitch as something we do for personal branding or sales, but in a way, you will be selling the change to many people. A succinct change elevator pitch will address your team's fears and provide a clear path forward in about four sentences or less. For example, first, just explain. Here's what our change initiative is all about. Second, tie back to original business goals. This change is important because, and again, this is tying it back for why it's good for the business. Third, personalize it. Here's what success will look like for you. And then finally, indicate direct action. What happens next? Here's what we need from you in order to move forward. Be honest. Don't hide the truth, especially if this change will increase the workload or the hours or a shift in responsibilities. Our guest today is an officer in the United States Army with over 13 years of experience in garrison and combat environments. He served two tours in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom and is the recipient of two Bronze Stars and one Purple Heart. He writes frequently on the topic of leadership and has published articles in Army Magazine, Military Review, Small Wars Journal, and many others. His blog is From the Green Notebook. Our guest is Major Joe Byerly. And today, Major Byerly's thoughts are his own and do not represent the United States Army or the Department of Defense. Joe, thanks for your ongoing service and welcome to the LeadX Show. Kevin, thank you so much for having me. Now, I read in your uh, bio at the beginning of the show, Joe, you know, a little bit about your background and, you know, you've done a whole lot out there, but I've got listeners in over uh, 150 countries now all around the world. Uh, and so, and, and I've never served in the military myself. My father was a Marine. His stories from boot camp in the 50s scared the heck out of me. So I never, <laughs> I never joined up myself. But tell us about, you know, your recent experiences 
in the army and then segue from that and tell us about your blog, which is called from the green notebook. Okay, Kevin. Yeah. So I recently served as the executive officer for first striker brigade combat team from the fourth infantry division out at uh, Fort Carson, Colorado. And in that job as the XO, I was essentially the chief of staff for a 4,500 soldier brigade combat team. And our mission was to deploy anywhere within the world within 72 hours to meet our nation's call. And so for my job specifically was to ensure the synchronization of all those moving pieces, both in training and on the deployment side, if that situation ever arose. Also, I, I managed a fairly large budget. And then finally, I managed the readiness for, for both the soldiers and the equipment. So, you know, made sure that everyone remained healthy, that all 4,500 of those soldiers could get out the door and that everyone had a vehicle that worked and a weapon that shot. So that was my last assignment. That was a very challenging yet, yet rewarding assignment. Now that's, yeah, that's a big responsibility, 4,500 soldiers. And how, how long were you in that role? So I transitioned that role for a couple months. And then prior to that, I was doing that exact same job for 600 soldiers. So it was, it was a pretty good, a pretty good jump for me at the time. Right. And I mentioned how I, uh, I didn't explain in the, in the early part of the show to my listeners, I, and I should have, the way I found you was I was doing research for my next leadership book, which won't be out till next year. And over and over again, as I was searching for examples and thoughts about different subjects, and often I'd be, <laughs> I'd be Googling and I'd be adding like plus army, plus military, plus soldiers, you know, to round out my own understanding of a topic. I kept coming up to a blog called From the Green Notebook, all kinds of topics that you know, those of us in the in the corporate world, you know, topics that we're familiar with, you're writing about them and taking a military perspective. So, you know, when did you start this blog and why is it called The Green Notebook? So I started the blog about four years ago. And, in, you know, it's something that we take for granted in the military. But when you take a step back, it, it really is kind of a cool idea, cool concept. So in every supply room, and this isn't just the Army, this is the Marine Corps, the Navy, the Air Force, the Coast Guard. We have these small green notebooks that anyone can can sign out and take with them. Uh, they fit in your cargo pocket. And typically in our culture, you bring your green notebook everywhere with you. And so your green notebook contains everything from to-do list to meeting notes, to you know your notes from a uh, leader professional development session you went to, notes from training, and, and then lessons learned from, from your training events because we're, we're constantly learning a, as we train in the military. And so in essence, these books represent the collective knowledge of the Army. So I just thought that I would provide a platform to share my experiences at first, but then I found that there are so many people across the military that just have these great stories and, and great lessons learned on leadership they can share. So over the last four years, we've had everybody from uh, enlisted soldiers, you know, those are, those are soldiers that, that uh, in a lot of instances haven't been to college yet, all the way up to forced our generals wow. posting on the blog. So it's really been great. And we've also brought a lot of authors in and people outside the military who have you know a lesson to share that, that resonates in our community. And Joe, what I love about this, I, and I, I didn't realize that those notebooks were all over the place and in the branches. You know, I've for many years now, I carry this black notebook around 
And when I was doing research on my book, 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management, that's one of the 15 secrets. What people kept telling me over and over again was that, and Richard Branson says, like his number one tool is his notebook. He's like, I would not have been able to become a billionaire without this little notebook. And and that's what I tell people is like, you know, you've, you've got to write it down and then you keep those notebooks. And I was feeling kind of cocky, Joe, because I'd look out on my bookshelf and I've got, I don't know, you know, maybe 10, 15 black notebooks lined up. And I brag about like, look, this is going to be like my legacy. You know, this is my my life. I've been snooping on your social media and you've got people putting pictures up of like, I don't know, it's like 30, 40, 50 green notebooks. There's some general that you posted a, a picture of who has all of his green notebooks from his career just stacked up right there. Right. And, and that's, it's not just any general too. That's a, uh, that was general Robert Abrams. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, his father's Creighton Abrams, uh, who we named the Abrams tank after today. Right. Uh, but he's currently the force comm commander. So he's, he's the guy in charge of the, you know, the radius and training for all the soldiers, uh, stateside right now. And, uh, that's, you know, 30 years of notebooks was a picture he shared, but what was great about it is I found that in uh, you know, we recently ran a hashtag, hashtag My Green Notebook. Uh, I had leaders from Australia, from the United Kingdom, taking pictures of their notebooks and posted them online. So it really, it really does work. Oh yeah, I, it, it was really, and it's inspiring, right? Now, now, how many notebooks do you think you filled up at this point? The good thing about me is it's not a good training exercise unless I lose my notebook <laughs> somewhere during the training exercise. So my notebooks are not on a bookshelf. They're spread across post and probably across the globe right now, uh, different locations, but uh, several. Now, let me ask you this. This is sort of a curveball question for you. So when I go out and talk to people about you got to carry this notebook, what I get all the time, especially from maybe the people who are, you know, still in their 20s is, you know, that's old school. Like now I, I take notes, but I just type everything into my phone. So what do you say to that? I mean, is it like, hey, it doesn't really matter? Or you think there's something better about actually writing it in, in your green notebook? Uh, I recently wrote about this topic. There have been studies that were done. I believe it was at Stanford. And the uh, researchers found that writing down actually helps you retain knowledge better than if you were to type it out. So I do feel like the process of actually taking the time to think through something and your hand moving with a pen or pencil across a piece of paper helps you retain the information way better than just you know tapping a keyboard or a uh, iPad. Yeah. And listeners out there, I, I, th I think that's completely right. And I think the study that uh, Joe's referring to is called, if you Google, the pen is mightier than the keyboard, you'll find that, that study. And you know they, they're talking about when you type, you become like a transcriptionist. You're just sort of recording the words without having to do that cognitive process. Because you can't write as fast as someone speaking, it's forcing you to sort of process it and summarize it, and then you then you remember it better. So I, I'm all with you. There is <laughs> the pen is mightier than the than the keyboard. And Joe, I think the um, the article that first caught my attention. Uh, you know, I, I was writing about. Uh, and, and I'm right now working on a new course about how to give effective feedback. And you wrote an art. I think you wrote you were the author of it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the article was called The Art of Giving Negative Feedback. And was that one you authored or was that a guest author? That's one that I wrote. And that was based off me connecting my experiences with uh, a book I had recently read called Stop Talking and Start Communicating by Dr. Jeffrey Tumlin. 
Oh, that's great. And what surprised me is, again, from the outsider perspective, when it comes to feedback, I know in the corporate world, managers don't do a good job of giving feedback because, you know, they they don't want the fight or they just don't want to, you know, kick up a storm or whatever. But my view would be in the military, you know, from the movies and everything, it's like, if you've got rank, you're given that feedback and you don't really care how it's received or perceived. And yet you wrote, we in the military don't always do a great job of giving folks the cold, hard truth about their performance. So that surprises me. Why, why do you think uh, people are holding back or not given the cold, hard truth? Kevin, I think it's because it's human nature. I, I think for most people, you want to lift others up. You want to make other people feel good. There's no, Don't get me wrong. There are folks out there that have no problems telling somebody that they're doing a horrible job. But I, I just think that naturally, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to sit there and look somebody across the desk. And a lot of times in the military, too, just because of how the officer and NCO structure works out, uh, you may be 23 years old talking to somebody who's 20 twice your age and who has, you know, three times more experience than you, you do, um, about their performance. And so it's, it's hard and it's uncomfortable for people. So I I think that's a big thing, but I think that deep down that if, if you truly care about the, the folks that work for you and you care about their development and they're getting better, then you're doing them a favor by telling them, Hey, this is where you're failing. This is where you're falling short in. Um, and, and you're actually hurting them when you sugarcoat it or, you know, you just avoid the topic altogether. And just from my experience in the military, I find that those relationships always end in, in a dead end uh, because there's not that communication there. The person that's working for you is not meeting your expectations. They're not meeting their performance objectives. And then eventually, uh, you know, you have to give them a, a bad evaluation, which is way worse than having that initial conversation three, four months, a year before that to tell them, hey, these are some areas that you can work on. And, and it's been my experience, too, that when you do tell somebody that, hey, this is where you're failing right now and this is what you need to work on, they actually try to get better at it. And I've seen people go from being the worst performing soldier uh, to being one of the, the top two or three once they receive that, cr- that critical and very important feedback. Now, in uh, in the private sector, I mean, every company is different, but it's, in the big companies, it's traditional to do like an end of year annual performance review, which m- most people groan at, you know, it's like, you know, one to five scales on a bunch of things. But in, in the army, is it something similar? Because you mentioned you're doing their evaluation. It is. And we do a, in the military, we do an annual evaluation. And uh, as part of that, you're supposed to do a quarterly counseling. Mm. So by the time the person gets that evaluation, there should be plenty of conversations uh, between that initial counseling and their final evaluation uh, to where you were able to get your performance objectives in there and they were able to to work and develop those. Now, um, (laughs) I'll put you on the spot. Thinking back on your career, was there ever a time when, uh, when you were given maybe some direct feedback about something specific, which maybe stung in the moment, but, you know, made you a better soldier? Oh, yes. Um, you know, just my, my recent job being the executive officer uh, for the last 13 years, I was very operations focused. And that's all the fun stuff. Uh, the stuff that's not so much fun is is the maintenance of the equipment, <laughs> the managing of a budget. And those were all new concepts to me. And so uh, when I first took over that job, you know, my boss sat down with me and said, hey, you're failing 
here, here, and here. And it hurt so bad because I had done so well previously uh, just to be told that, that I wasn't doing as great anymore. And so I just attacked uh, those weaknesses and, and really concentrated on them. And, and I worked with my boss too to you know develop a way ahead. Hey, these are some very specific concrete steps you can take to get better. And, uh, you know, and over time I, I was, I went from, um, you know, I was selected to move up from that, you know, five, 600 person, uh, unit to that 4,500 person unit. And it was because of that tough feedback I got in the beginning. That's great. And, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with, there's sort of a strengths-based leadership movement that uh, Gallup kind of started putting out where it's saying, like, you know, identify your strengths and, and lean into those. And a lot of people have misinterpreted that to to believe, like, we can ignore our weaknesses. Like, let's not worry about developing our weaker areas. Let's just pick a strength or two. But even the Gallup guys, you know, when they're asked about that, they said, no, no, no. Like, if there's a an, an area of development that you need to, to, you know, reach a standard on to do your job, you definitely need to focus in those areas. It's not ignore your weakness. It's just identify and play to your strengths. So it's, it's good to hear that's been your experience too. It has been. And I found too, that as you move up within an organization, I'm sure it's the same in the private sector, that your scope of responsibilities gets, it's greater. And so, yeah, your, your weakness may not come into play now, but it may come into play three, four, five years down the road uh, when you're, you're, uh, when the scope of, of your responsibilities is, is way greater uh, than it was previously. So we, I think it is important yeah. that we focus on our weaknesses and try to improve those areas. Now, there's another topic I was, uh, a different chapter in my book is about, like I'm obsessed with, with time and a lot of people wouldn't think like time and productivity is a leadership topic, but to me it really is because, I mean, you need to be very efficient and productive. Uh, it's, it's both be good with the people stuff and the, the task stuff. And, and when I first started looking at uh, examples of this, I was studying sports coaches and I w- was surprised that like a lot of the great basketball coaches, John Wooden, uh, Coach K, football uh, coach, New York Giants, uh, Tom Coughlin. When you read their books, they're talking about scheduling practices down to the minute, scheduling you know the seasons down to the five minute, fifteen minute chunks. And, and I myself uh, sort of preach like a to do. If you know a lot of the things on your to do list will never get done. If you want to get it done, then you actually schedule it. And you wrote, um, again, I found doing research, uh, there was an article, The Five Rules for Balancing Military and Career Life. And, you know, you don't have to go into all five of the rules, but, you know, what are your views on balancing military and career? I don't think that you're able to actually balance anything. I think that either you're giving your family everything or you're giving your work everything. And it's just managing when you're going to be giving work and when you're going to be giving your family time. And so I I found that if I'm not good with my own personal time management, that time will slip away from me. And next thing you know, I've gone several weeks without eating dinner with my family or spending time with my family. So I, I do my best to do exactly what you're talking about, Kevin, is instead of you know, keeping a just straight to-do list, but try, try to schedule things. And then from the family aspect too, one of the things that, that we try to do as a, as a family is continually schedule events. Because if we just say, hey, I think we're going to go try to do something uh, this weekend 
and Friday's going to roll around. I'm going to be tired. I, right. I don't want to do that. It was, it was a crazy week at work. And then next thing you know, I'm sitting there watching football a week, weekend, uh, eating Cheetos and drinking beer right. and not really doing anything positive with my family. So one of the things that, that we try to do as a family is continually schedule events, just either, you know, date nights, short little weekend trips. And then we always schedule, you know, either a big fall vacation or a summer vacation. And we make sure that's blocked off and on the calendar. And when I do do those things, I'm giving all my attention to them and, and not, you know, continually slipping back into work mode. I noticed something interesting in the comments on that particular blog post. Uh, you know, you, you get you get some good comments and almost universally, you know, positive and supportive. And this one kicked up some conversation. It was sort of like easy for an officer to say, <laughs> right? You know, there was a little bit of like, well, officers have, uh, you know, don't understand how hard and they can just, you know, order everybody else to do their stuff. I mean, what's your reaction to that? I mean, is that just sort of you know, a, a cop out for someone not taking more ownership for scheduling family time and things like that? Or do you think there really is a difference there? I think it, it varies. You know, leadership uh, leadership varies from unit to unit. You may have somebody that gives a thousand tasks and then goes home at five o'clock with the expectation that everything's going to get done by 530 the next morning. So that does happen. But I think generally, you know, across the board, a lot of times we do fail to manage both aspects of our lives. And so, you know, the military is very rewarding. We get ribbons, we get awards, we get coins. So there's always something tangible to chase. And a lot of soldiers, leaders get wrapped up in that. And then, you know, they'll kind of put their families on the back burner because of it. And so that's one thing that, you know, organizations I've been a part of, I've tried to have those conversations with folks to talk about expectations and, you know, hey, our, our goal today is 530. We're going to get out of here by that time. And then uh, and so so you can spend time with your family. It's not always possible. Right. And when you're constantly training, you know, constantly worried about uh, preparedness to go to war, a lot of times, you know, that does end up consuming you and, and you do miss out on a couple dinners. But I, I'd say that, uh, that it's something that every leader in the military uh, struggles with at one point in their careers. Friends, before we go, remember, at LeadX, we're on a mission to give free leadership training and professional development to everyone, anywhere, at any time. Visit leadx.org.org, that is, to check out our course of the day. Or visit leadx.org forward slash Branson to download our free ebook, Richard Branson's Seven Secrets to Leadership. And please take one quick minute, go to leadx.org forward slash subscribe to subscribe and leave a rating for this podcast, The LeadX Leadership Show, leadx.org forward slash subscribe. Until next time, remember, you have incredible influence on those around you, your family, your team at work, your community. We all need you to lead mindfully. How will you lead today?